This episode contains strong themes that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Season 3 of Media Minded, the show guiding you through the age of disinformation. This season is a little bit different. It's all about NATO. Yes, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. With the help of media and defense experts, we'll be breaking down what NATO is all about. We'll be focusing on cyber attacks, decision making, public policy, crisis management, and you know it wouldn't be media minded if we didn't sprinkle in a little disinformation in the mix. This podcast is produced by Shata UK, the leading political and media literacy organization and is made possible by the generous support and sponsorship of the US mission to NATO. I'm your host, Matteo Bergamini, founder and CEO of Shata UK, here to teach you more about global security through the lens of NATO. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. We are joined by Colonel Sonka, uh, who is a, a career Air Force officer, previously serving as head of research for strategy and armed forces at the German Institute for Defense and Strategic Studies in Hamburg. As well as holding a full diploma in computer science, he holds a master's degree from the Royal Military College in Kingston, Canada, and another from the University of the Federal Armed Forces in Hamburg. He was deployed with NATO to Bosnia and Kosovo, and in 2020 served as branch head for transition at HQ Resolute Support in Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, hello, thank you for joining uh, me today. Um, tell me, what, what, what is the branch head for transition? Hi, good morning. Um, the idea, this was uh, introduced in 2020, when it was clear that uh, NATO and the United States would leave in Afghanistan after the US Taliban talks, which came up with a contract on the 28th of uh, February. So mm -hmm. uh, the chief of staff of the HQ and the commander decided that next to the planning group, they want to also have one team who's doing transitioning. So what are we doing with capabilities we have in Afghanistan, how we can hand over them back to the Afghans, how will uh, training go uh, go on? What we did parallel to the missions, for example, sending people to the NATO school in Obamagao um, and so on. And this was part of my my duties when I was in Afghanistan for three months in 2021. Uh, wow. Uh, sorry, in 2020. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, amazing. And um, as much as I'd love to talk more about um, Afghanistan, I am, I am gonna derail that conversation slightly because I want to talk about uh, disinformation. Um, and obviously, I mean, we, we, we've all, I think, because of the pandemic, experienced misinformation um, in one form or another, be it, you know, online, be it, you know, your uh, your random auntie or some some uh, aloof family member who has sent you something about COVID that uh, turns out to be completely untrue. Um, we've all experienced it. We've all seen it. We've all been potentially affected by it. I know for once, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, um, someone in my family who shall remain nameless sent me this one uh little tidbit saying that oh um if you hold your breath for 10 seconds and you don't cough then you don't have covid and i remember at the time kind of doing it and kind of halfway through thinking why am i doing this because the government wouldn't be spending so much money on testing kits if this was how easy it was to tell you had covid or not um but that's misinformation you know which which is um, incorrect information shared, but not not for any nefarious purpose, right? It's, it's you know you're, you're, they're sharing it because they think it's true and they want to help you. So it's it's not done out of a malicious intent. But tell me, what is disinformation? Yeah, this disinformation is like you say there is a malicious intent behind it. It's sent deliberately to you, and uh, unfortunately, it doesn't have to be always clear that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. could be also a mixture of 80% uh, true, and then I just put in 20%, uh, which is not clear, so that the normal listener saying, yeah, but the rest is true, and then this part must also be, be true. But this is really, there's a malicious intent in, this is done deliberately on purpose 
by someone who is an uh, who has an interest to influence you. Mm-hmm. Could be either a state, but could also a non-state actor, and sometimes even in advertisement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And, it, and it's interesting, is it? Because that's the most powerful type of disinformation, isn't it? It's the one that, that has that hint of truth or that kind of element of truth, just because it it almost lulls you into a false sense of credibility, doesn't it? Where you you know, you, you see this one statistic, which you know it's true, so then you kind of automatically kind of lower your guard and think, well, the rest is obviously going to be, yeah, gonna be and, also true. And, and, and nobody of us is immune against this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it goes to the, to the highest ranks, it goes to the, to the MPs, it goes to every, everyone of, of us. You know, something is shown to you and you have a clear understanding, this is where you come from. And especially if you have a situation like COVID, you know, where science says, okay, today this is correct, and now we have a new study, and everything is changing on the next day, which is normal for a scientist, mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. grasping more knowledge. But now people go back two days and saying, yeah, but yesterday this was correct, and now you're telling me that is correct. Mm-hmm. Even this already counts as a kind of disinformation because you're not telling about the, the state of the, the art or of the science, mm-hmm. and, and, and the people stuck in between, not knowing what is now correct, what is now right. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's really interesting that you, you say this because um, in, in a lot of our work outside of outside of this podcast, we do we we run media literacy programs in secondary schools and colleges. And one thing that we always come up is this idea of you know how science kind of flip flops or, or changes. And obviously, as you say, for a scientist, this is normal because you you understand something. Um, in the current state and then as you learn more or as you gauge more information or as you discover more things you know that 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 thing that you know changes and essentially progresses and you know things that you thought were right were turned out to be wrong etc like this is normal as you say for a scientist but I think for us um, for lack of a better term ordinary people (laughs) don't understand the complete fool on the science um, you know you this is this is problematic because in our day to day, we understand well facts are facts, and they they shouldn't change. And then, as as you kind of see scientists evolving, or you see a certain thing in in science evolving, um, I think that almost in a strange way makes them lose credibility to certain people because of that that change. Yeah, because it's normal for a human. Yesterday, everything was greater. The world was better somehow. Mm-hmm. Remembering the former times when everything was good. The times before Corona, the times before uh, any crisis we had had before. But that's new, uh, normal. That's human. Mm-hmm. And I think another complication of, of today is also, for example, if you're a, a, just an epidemiologist and you're looking in Corona, but you are not a social science uh, scientist, Mm-hmm. Right? You can't. You're not looking into what are the other problems of Corona. For example, social problems, maybe people getting lonely and stuff, stuff like that. So these kind of side effects of of a network society and even of network science uh, in there. And this goes information goes directly to the consumer on the on the other side. And you said, now who am I? Where am I? No, and what are we talk, talking uh, about? So, so I wouldn't call this a crisis of science. This is normal for mm-hmm. for science, and I've never seen science so far, uh, so fast, mm. like in the last two years, developing uh, a couple of uh, vaccinations, looking into something brand new and finding solutions. But on the other hand, this is uh, a large scale worldwide crisis with, mm. with also other other effects, and this is overwhelming people. And then at the end. You are sitting at home, quarantined or isolated for 10, 15 days. Then you ask yourself what's going uh, on around me. And that causes trouble for, for people. And then you try to grasp information. And then you might be very fast the, uh, the victim, either for misinformation, like you stated in the beginning, which is not deliberately, or if someone wants to send a message because he has uh, another malicious interest. Maybe you want to change your uh, the way you're, uh, you're campaigning or you uh, will vote for the next uh, uh, elections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's almost like it's a crisis of of, misinform- of um, information, or almost a crisis of of communication between between different as- aspects of society. And like you say, you know, you're you're staying at home, and obviously, you know, maybe a couple of uh, glasses of wine or whatever you're drinking later, a a trip down that rabbit hole that let's be honest, we've all done on YouTube, where you end up on those really strange videos, and you know that that kind of one thing leads to another. Um, and obviously, you know, we've, we've mentioned misinformation and disinformation. And um, 
I think we we can all all agree that it's become quite prevalent in our society now. Um, how does this information pose a threat to democracy? Democracy is uh, a leading by the people through the people, mm-hmm. and this is built on trust. Well, this is we want to trust the one we are voting for. We want to trust those are who are elected uh, people, and then we get suddenly information, uh, disinformation, misinformation on how they behave. We have uh, a moral conduct, what we expect our leaders to be or to look like. And uh, if you put in disinformation on on this, this goes directly at the heart of democracy, at the trust idea. If you're not trusting and then you ask yourself, who can I vote for? Because everyone is is not on my moral standards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Dr. YouTube and Dr. Google and Dr. (laughs) Somewhere will tell you uh, another story. And it's not like... Uh, in former times, when you just had certain kind of newspapers where you know when you looked at them what kind of information they will transfer, now everything is, is equal. All the information channels have the same value as an input ch- channel for you, so it's very hard to select which one is the one I can inform myself. And then you might slide into a, into a corner where, where you didn't expect yourself one year ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and it's quite quite terrifying where, where as you say you know you put all of these channels on a on the same kind of pedestal because you know newspapers tv channels and so forth there was an element of of, of misinformation in there in there sometimes you know that, that they're not always going to give you full full level of facts you still need critical thinking when you're dealing with mainstream news the only difference is that there are checks and balances in terms of things like you know regulators and whatnot whereas the internet's kind of like a free-for-all um where you know you could literally say anything online and as long as people believe it, then it's some portion of society will see it as fact. And obviously, we've we've seen this through, you know, we've seen this phenomenon thanks to the kind of advancement in technology that we've seen in the twenty first century. Um, tell me, how is NATO responding to these kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, threats like disinformation? Uh, NATO was uh, hit by disinformation. For example, if you go back to Afghanistan at the moment. You had an airstrike. The next morning, you got pictures on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and wherever that NATO or the United States has bombed a uh, marriage ceremony, and those 40 guys were just firing their rifles in the air to celebrate marriage and and and, and stuff like that. At a certain point in time, you could see a pattern you know, that this happened every every time, and this was useful because it delivered a message back to to Europe, right? and and cutting the or cutting on the connection between uh, Europe and the soldiers or United States states and the soldiers, so the public opinion. And you could also see that the, uh, when we deployed to, um, to the Baltic states, right, immediately the, uh, the Russians tried to, to interfere with, uh, with media by sending stories that German tanks ran uh, over a Jewish cemetery. Or they showed one of the, I think it was a Canadian commander in a sauna, sauna suit ridiculed on the on the internet wow. so this started immediately and mm. um especially the baltic states they had a, had a good concept they were uh this kind of shitstorm they were waiting for it <laughs> and they had a 24 hour seven hour watch for it so they could uh hit immediately so there was one story that two german uh corporals raped a young i think it was a latvian girl and then they came came immediately back they went to the uh uh, to the uh, house where the, the uh, girl was living, assumed to live, and they talked to the people and they came up with the story and saying, no, that's not wrong, that's made up, and so on. But for this, you need awareness, what is going on around you. And, and this happened um, to NATO. And to uh, cover, cover this, NATO has a, uh, one center of excellence for strategic communications in Riga, and they're working on this. Mm-hmm. And they also have now so-called counter-hybrid threat teams so that a nation can ask for, for advice because normal administrators normally are not uh, working in, in that depth. If you are a government civilian, you try to make everything happen for your citizens, but you're mm-hmm. not expect that uh, someone is spoiling with your messages. And, and for this, NATO provides teams and support. That's amazing. And yeah, no, of course, I mean, you don't, Again, this is, a, a, you know, disinformation is not a new phenomenon. Like people have been pamphleting and propaganda spreading for, you know, as long as humanity has been able to read and write, basically, we've been spreading the poor <laughs> lies to some extent, um, unfortunately. But 
you know, with the 21st century, we've really seen an uptake in this. And not just that, but how easy it is to spread this kind of stuff. You know, you, you can be anybody and start, you know, creating disinformation about your government, someone else's government, about a person, a company, an individual. It really doesn't matter. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned that, um, was it in, in, in Bosnia that you said that they were ready for this? Um... No, in Latvia. Latvia, In sorry. the Baltics. In the Baltics. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so what... Um, what prompted them to um to to prepare for this like what what prompted them to um to have that kind of setup ready would you say you could you could say a long history living under uh in the soviet union and mm. understanding what the russians were capable to do with propaganda and like you said this is nothing it's nothing new it's just uh with the new method uh methods we have with social media and and other stuff it's like the the box of pandora mm. which was opened and it has, has also advantages no, for democracy, no, that you see what, what the government is, is doing. But on the other hand, it also allows, and that's the, uh, the balance, balancing. So who guards social media and who guards The Guardian? Yeah, no, of course, of course, which is a um, um, really interesting, interesting prospect, I think, that we're, that we're going to be faced with more and more so probably as, as, as you know, technology advances even further. Christ knows what we'll be in about 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, um, keep in mind, without those kind of technology, we wouldn't have this podcast today. Exactly, exactly. And that's <laughs> and that's one thing that I've always, um, I, think, I think it's important to remember when we're talking about this stuff, that it's not, at least in my view, it's not about the tools themselves. Like they are at the end of the day tools, like social media, um, the, the, these, are, these are tools. And although obviously in the context of spreading disinformation, they're seen as negative, it's not the tools themselves that are the problem in my view. It's... It's how we use them, right? Because, you know, there's, there's tons of examples where these kind of tools have been used in a very positive light. Um, in terms it's, like, of connecting it's like the knife in your kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> you can use it for cooking and you can use it for killing your neighbor. It's your choice. That is very true. That is, <laughs> that is very, very true. Um, so y your field of expertise um, is around sort of modern forms of conflict and you know, hybrid warfare, um, cyber security. Yeah. Cybersecurity. Can you define what these what these threats are, or what these what these types are? Okay, so uh, cyber cyber threat is the earliest one, which came up with kind of new tech technology after we we started to connect the computers that someone else from the outside, without entering your house, could look into your house, could look into your data, mm -hmm. right, and uh, can get it out of it. And there are um, different levels of of cyber. It might be uh, the hardware which I can attack. Uh, it might be critical infrastructure if I take out the, the pump of a, a water facility uh, just by disconnecting the steering computer and so on. But this goes up to the level of uh, that I go inside the information, that I plug in other information, information you don't, don't want to send, mm -hmm. but which suddenly becomes your information. So if I take over your Twitter account, for example, it's also cyber risk. Uh, and uh, sending out inf in information, I will ruin your credibility within 10 seconds. I can make you a right-wing radical or a left-wing radical and whatever you like. Maybe and, even both. Yep, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, uh, that's part of the cyber, cyber security. And, and out of this, of this higher connectivity in the world, there came also the idea of hybrid. And it, a hybrid accompanies us around since 2006. That's the first time we talked about hybrid warfare in, uh, in, uh, in the science. And the idea is people are... There's one hard red line and this is un carter article 2.4 which states all member states refrain from uh attacking each other mm. so uh, on a positive way there should be no world war worldwide and the next sentence says and they also are re restrain themselves from interfering into internal affairs of other, uh, other countries but now with this kind of technology right, you can do this and as long as not, the other side is not willing to insist that this is a, a break of the red line, you create something like the so-called gray zone. We also talk about sometimes if you talk about hybrid threats. And this could also be done by, by military means. So if you go back to Crimea 2014, what we call the little green men, everyone knew they were Russians, mm. but they never wear the Russian flag on their uniform, not at the beginning. Or we talk now about little blue men, seamen in the Southeast China Sea. Everyone knows where they come from, so they are military means. And normally you would say that's an act of war, but yeah, it's Article 2.4. That's the gray zone. And of course, if I use disinformation, if I start to change 
or to campaign against someone like it happened to Hillary Clinton uh, when, when uh, her servers were hacked, her email servers were hacked and the data was put on, uh, on, on the table. Well, this is interfering in other uh, nations, but if you are not going after it, that's a gray zone. And this is what we call today as hybrid threats. And there must be a state or a non-state actor behind it. It's not the normal criminal who is sending out ransomware and now give me 500 bitcoins or at the moment with this course, five would be enough. Huh? So mm. there's still a distinct, uh, there's, a, there's an interest, a strategic interest behind this kind of actors. With what you've just mentioned, what would you say are the biggest um, hybrid or cyber threats facing democracy today? Is there one particular one that that's kind of the most dangerous? I think it, it creates instability. Mm. No, it's, and uh, going back, it creates distrust in the state. And uh, if you don't have trust in your state, how do you trust the rules we have? Mm. And we are living in a more individualized uh, society. More people come to power, which I also see an advantage in that because it's not the solution can be uh, uh, created by a more diverse troops, so this makes it harder for an attacker. Now, if you only attack uh, gray old men, that's a di different attack vector if you are uh, try to attack a diverse society. But if you uh, attack a diverse society, there's a lot of taboos in those kind of, of societies, mm. things we are not talking about. And then you can fuel up this very easily. And uh, th that, that's the problem. So that this kind of internal stability or even instability between former allies. Mm. Uh, I mean, and then... Sorry, Fake ahead. news, media, uh, the way Trump handled uh, the media. In former times, uh, we always called media and journalists uh, the fourth or the fifth power uh, as a regulation power. And he, uh, he discredited uh, the, the common media totally. So today, journalists in the West get hit by anti-vaxxers and so on on the, on the road and on the streets. And that's dangerous because mm -hmm. we are losing democ dem democratic uh, structures in there. Yeah, and, and and that's and that's a really, really um, important point because, like you say, you know, journalists used to be, you know, used to be seen as the kind of, the 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 industry that was meant to hold government to account, that they're meant to hold certain powers to account, and democracy, as you, I mean, you keep mentioning the word trust, and that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Like democracy and multicultural, they're they're based on trust. You know, you you trust your neighbor, you trust the other side, you trust the government, you. Not necessarily trust everything that the politicians say, because I think that that that's unrealistic, and frankly, that's not the way it should work. You know, you need to be critically analytical as to what they say, and then then make your own mind up in the ballot box. But in terms of trusting that, um, they're not always lying to you, because they're not always lying to you. You know, sometimes there is there is mistruth, sometimes there are lies. Like you you've got to be critical when 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 analyzing things. But when when we come at it from a nihilistic perspective of oh, all journalists are this, all politicians are that, then it's the same as believing everything that someone tells you because you're not thinking critically about that certain bit of information. You're just you're just blanket covering everybody with the same brush. And, you know, when you sow that kind of level of distrust in a specific industry like journalism, um, you are kind of stuck on where you get your information from. And then you kind of rely on other less credible sources, but you think they're more credible because, they, you know, they got half a million likes on YouTube, for example, or however many... Um, streams on tiktok or whatever um which you know yeah it's great and, and, then, popular, there, and, and then there's a lot of uh psychology in there as well mm. for example with regards to bias no, unspoken bias bias you're carrying with your, your yourself for example if they put in a tv show now you have 99 experts saying that's correct and you have one expert saying the other side and now you just put two in the one expert who's against it and the one expert and this creates balance which is called false balancing at a cer mm -hmm. certain point in time because he has just one other opinion against uh, the mainstream opinion of that kind of, of, of science. And mm -hmm. this is also something uh, where we have to look into it, especially if you look when you were asking for, for new te technology, artificial intelligence, what we see for, for, for the future. They are just algorithms mm -hmm. uh, and they have to work with the data they are getting. And if the data is already biased, if you're not take all the data or you're not taking care of what kind of um, data you are collecting. For example, in the United States, they, they set up a, uh, a crime forecast system. But if 99% of your data is African-American, how do you think that an even a fair algorithm could come up that the next perpetrator would be a white male 25 years old? 
So that's data bias, what we see. And then on the other, uh, other side, you might have uh, algorithmic bias. You know, if everything's written by males, you know, how, how should we take care for, for female ne needs if you're not aware of it? And there's a great case in the military. You always call, uh, talk about, you know, when we had um, females joining the military, and we had this kind of safety vests. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just looked for the data. And females are a little bit smaller, so we need more S Vests, the smaller ones, mm -hmm. and would need an advanced. That's the simplest algorithm. Yeah, but uh, females look different in the breast part than males. A little so, bit, yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> an S male, an S vest might kill a female because it's, uh, the vest is not made for her. So you need more data in your algorithm. You need a different algorithm to find out what are the, the rights. And, and, and that's something we have to see in the in the future uh, as well, no, what kind of data and what kind of algorithm we are uh, looking for. Because at the end, CV and name them, they will present you what's in their data. And there was mm -hmm. this great case of this uh, language, uh, artificial intelligence, which be became you know, by, the, by the users uh, a right-wing radical, uh, mm. putting out racist slurs because that was the data it was filled in. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the risk of modern tech, uh, tech technology, and we will see this in uh, in social media. There's in Facebook, there's an algorithm, and other there are algorithms behind that, and they present you what you want to see. And at a certain point, it, uh, it catapults you into a bubble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly, and uh, and that's that's the danger, isn't it? That, that at the end of the day, these technologies are presenting, um, aside from what we want to see, but also what we're inputting. And and you know if it is if it, what we're inputting is negative, then then of course they're going to learn those those habits and perpetuate them towards us. And obviously that that's coupling in with you know uh, confirmation bias. So say for example, you know if you like a certain thing, um, like I like chocolate, right? And I and I see an article or whatever from from an expert that says that you know chocolate is the best thing ever, and it's and it's you know and it's going to prolong your life by twenty years. You're going to be more likely to believe it because you want that thing to be true. Um. Whereas if you know you, you if you hate say chocolate like you're you're going to be less likely to believe it you're going to be more critical towards it so it's also about um, well you have a diabetologist showing up and telling you that this might ruin your health over the next right? twenty years you might live longer but it might be not the life you're expecting <laughs> <laughs> so what are you choosing <laughs> right 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 um, <laughs> so um. Obviously, with with regards to these emerging threats that we've that we've spoken about, are there, do you do you feel like they're still rooted in in geopolitical conflict, or like geopolitics as a whole? Yeah, yeah, you could uh, you could see this, and I think uh, one part of it is also that it's not only in the military or in the mm. security domain; it's also in the economics domain. For example, when we had this uh, problem with the ship in the uh, Suez Canal, and we saw. Oh my that, God! Uh, the one that got stuck in the middle of the uh, yeah yeah. yeah. And, and PlayStation Five came late, or the the new iPhone came late by two months. <laughs> so, but that's only you know that's only the surface out of it. China is controlling the whole production market. So mm. when when Trump tried uh, tried to get some of the production back to the United States, it was impossible because the technology was not av av available any longer. So the idea of uh, value chains worldwide, well, there's a risk in it. And when you control the end of the chain, like China is doing today, you're controlling uh, economics. And you can see what they do now with uh, Lithuania after they uh, accepted Taiwan. They're using economic power. And of course, you can use uh, diplomatic power just by the, the way you, you go out, you reach out. And you know, that's what, what Russia do, doing at the moment. They try to dictate uh, the next rules for the world you know, on, on their behalf and in their advantage. So it's not the military community only or the security community, which is now threatened through a hybrid threat. It's, it's all of us at a certain point in, in time. Yeah. And, 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 and it's interesting because I think, especially when we think of um, organizations like NATO, for instance, so we, we think of, we've, we think of geopolitics. I think for a lot of people, it's that kind of traditional threat of you know military versus military and the kind of traditional warfare the things that we, we basically learn often in, in in your history class right of the kind of traditional battles or traditional fights and um kind of geopolitics kind of being a reflection of of military strength or military power but in reality of course um like you say there are so many different elements i mean there were you know economic powers that always been a thing realistically to one extent or another but 
um, now we're seeing all these different types of, um, for lack of a better term, powers, I guess, you know, like economic power, you're seeing, um, you know, the use of, of, of propaganda in a completely different way through, through disinformation. And we're seeing um, the ability of kind of cyber power, the ability to, to, to reflect or, or push a certain message out for a variety of means. Um, and it's, and, and, and it's interesting that yeah, despite all of that, the kind of geopolitical framework is still kind of at the very back end of, of, of it all. Like it's, there's still that traditional, um, geopolitical sphere almost. It's the idea of the Westphalian state, which is still in our minds. This is how we define ourselves this borders on the, on the planet. No? And this side is the good side. And the other side of the border is, uh, the bad side. This is how we are. That's deep in our our thinking and, and you could see how uh, nato transformed since 1989 before it was very clear who would be the opponent uh, yeah. that was nato versus Warsaw pact then the transformation reaching out even uh providing uh safety and security for other states like in the balkans or in Af afghanistan and now we have to provide insight the nations and nato has no legislative power like for example the eu or the united nations they can't set rules they only can provide support and protect their own ways of command and control well, that they're not losing command in a uh, in a crisis by uh, for example cyber actions or uh, whatever you're using you know, electronic warfare and and so on so they have to protect themselves and reach out to the nations the first line of uh, is national resilience and this must be done by the nations mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. And also you don't, there's often that kind of uh, slightly sticky situation of having a, a an international organization like NATO um, getting getting too involved in its in its member states. And, you know, what what, what perception has that put and, and all those kind of things that that that, um, that kind but of... But as you into... see with Russia at the moment, you know, getting uh, Ukraine away from uh, NATO, getting Sweden and Finland away from 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 NATO. So there's some power. Mm -hmm. behind the idea of of, of nato right? at least from the russian perception i mean create definitely. something <laughs> yeah <laughs> um going in 2019 um london the, the 2019's london declaration um apologies allied heads of state and, and government said that nato is strengthening so its ability to prepare for deter and defend against so hybrid tactics as we as we kind of spoke about uh, that seek to undermine our security and societies um, what would you say this looks like on a kind of practical level? Like, like I said, the first line of defense is the nation itself. It's mm -hmm. building resilience. And for this, you have to understand resilience, which is totally different, uh, in all NATO, uh, member states. For example, I'm, I'm now, uh, working out of Helsinki in Finland. Mm -hmm. They have this idea of total defense together with, uh, Sweden or the Baltic states. They are the, uh, so societal resilience and uh, military deterrence is hand in hand. Mm -hmm. In the Western parts of, of Europe, you know, when if deterrence would have failed before 1989, for example, Germany would be a nuclear desert. So what kind of resilience do you want to teach to your society or for uh, UK, same thing, mm -hmm. uh, because the military would, would act abroad and, and at home there would be a strong line of of defense it's the moral part of it and this is something we we have to rebuild and i think this is also important that nato and the heads of government are stating this that is still deterrence mm -hmm. so you need conventional deterrence you need nuclear deterrence at least until today because the potential is still available mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because without it uh the power of the the one who has more power might cut through but is that age-old saying of uh, if you want if you want peace you must prepare for war and obviously you know yeah yep. it's unfortunate and, and, but well and you must uh, you must be willing to use use the tool at a certain point of time that's the motivational part of it but resilience goes deeper this goes to all of uh your societal sectors this is the way you're working with your minority groups this is the work uh the, so in, in uh, inside the society this is way how your economy works this is how your critical infrastructure is protected mm. You know, if I try to get out my tanks out of the barracks and, and someone is able to uh, hack all the fuel stations, uh, after 100 kilometers, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's this kind of complexity of interwoven 
relationship. And for this, right, it's not only about the military, it's about for a, a society uh, in large. And, and, and for this, those calls are, from my point of view, very important that, that we, the citizens, have to understand that we also have a part in this kind of uh, resilience uh, building. Mm -hmm. It's our societies. And would you say it, it's, it's, when we're talking about resilience, would you say it's, um, is it said resilience to, 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 to disinformation, for example? Because, it, I mean, aside from even, you know, getting your tanks out the barracks and someone hacking, hacking your fuel stations, it's, it, couldn't it be considered to be even even more straightforward than that in the sense that you know if someone decides to you know hit a country with disinformation about say nato or, or their armed forces and kind of create a oh you don't need this anymore um you can push people to to vote a certain way arguably yeah and you could uh push people to either reduce the military forces mm -hmm. or they might demonstrate in front of your barracks and then you can't even reach out to those 100 kilometers away fuel station <laughs> and, and so on. So that's that's the part uh, that's that's part of the story story in there. No? So mm -hmm. and I think uh, if you look in uh, Brit Britain during World War Two, uh, when they had the, uh, this great pictures, you know, the war don't don't speak too much. The war is also could also be lost at home and stuff, stuff like that. That's part of the, the story. And that's not warmongering. This Loose is lips sink ships, I think. was the. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh... <laughs> Well, this is about understanding what is going going out. That we are not uh, the citizen is not is part of it. Mm. It's a subject to it. It's not an object. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and that's and that's a really important point, isn't it? Though, because we we feel like we're almost at least for the moment, it's almost like we're separated ourselves. Like we we think of oh, the government is doing this, and it's like the, the government is is also you. Like this is our society. This that like, we're a part of this. So when you're criticizing the government for doing something, it's like yeah you had a vote like you you can decide to which way and which way to go and i'm and i'm sorry but I, I i whenever i get a chance to to do this mini rant i do it and it's that not taking your vote and not not voting is not an act of protest that is laziness like you can you can spoil your ballot and that's fine um and that's an act of protest because you don't like any of the candidates and that's your right but not turning up just because you wanted to watch strictly or the simpsons or whatever whatever you wanted to put on tv that's that's, that's not. <laughs> I, I, I totally sign up for the render. Then I tell also the people, why don't you, are you not going into, into politics? If you have these better <laughs> ideas or if you think everyone else is stupid. Well, so create it. That's part of democracy. Right. They right. must, the, 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 the people. <laughs> we are part of the people. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I think that there's, that, there's that disconnect. Um, so just, just um, on that, and obviously we, we, we've talked about disinformation and, and cyber attacks, but... Um, how has disinformation and cyber attacks been used to destabilize democracy in member states? Would you say, like, are there any clear examples? Yeah, yeah, like, 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 like I mentioned before, when uh, uh, Russia presented the data, Trump was asking for on Hillary, on Hillary Clinton, mm. and uh, then you have to look into certain campaigns. And I think if you look into the Brexit campaign, you also saw some some interference from the outside, and especially when it comes, like, you know, this close this 50 50 percent mm -hmm. then you could see that disinformation might have at the end uh, uh, the power to slip a total society as one society from one side uh, uh, to the other side and we have also seen that uh, in France Macron's campaign was hacked uh, uh, the day before the, the elections came up and some data was was uh, put on it because there's a lot of voters who vote on the last day so mm -hmm. they go into the cabin and saying okay who, who do I love today most and then the last thing I've heard, and this could be either good, he did something good, or this could be this kind of bad information coming from, from a server, coming from uh, uh, an email taken out of content or, or whatever. And this might put in your, uh, might influence your decision mm. on this uh, election day. And this is where we, we have seen. So uh, protecting de uh, democracy structures and processes is very important. Mm -hmm. well, it's not yeah. given. No, and I think, um, at least for a portion of society, and, and I think people are starting to see this more and more that that you know democracy, as you say, this is this isn't a given. Like these these things are these things were earned um, through blood and various other things. Like the you know generations before us fought for these kind of rights that we're that we're now um, you know very privileged to have in a, in a lot of places, um, like being able to have this conversation. Um, yep. Just just simply, you know, there's parts of the world where um we'd be uh 
we need to having certain conversations. And we still is... have to see the advantages of this kind of technology, you know, for grassroots mm -hmm. movements, right? The, the capability to to set up new networks, to do some some changes. And for example, Fridays for Future mm -hmm. started with one girl. Yeah. Now it's a worldwide uh, wide movement. You can love it, but it's part of our democracy, uh, democratic processes now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so. What role does, um, going back to that idea of geopolitics, what role does, does geopolitics play in emerging threats? Especially because, you know, the threats like, like this information, for example, can be done from simply behind a computer screen by, you know, an organized, very well-funded actor or just by an individual, you know, either in the country or outside. Yeah, at the moment we live in the advantage that everyone is connected to everything so that we can mm. see things are going on. But for example, when there is an intent in China to decouple the Chinese internet or from Russia to decouple the Russian in, uh, internet, mm -hmm. you're building up huge cages, well, which are controlled. And then uh, it was Orwell in 1984 who's a, uh, who described this kind of, of society, for uh, what is possible with, uh, with full uh, power control or like in China with kind of social points you get for, for well behavior. So you get better points than, than for, for bad behavior and, and, and so on. So this kind of a market on this is something uh, we should protect each other. And there is, now that's also the advantage of the, the, uh, the internet that we can see those things. But then the risk of disinformation and misinformation is shown. Are the, the pictures we are seeing really from that occasion or are they, they just made up or even created with an artificial intelligence? Having a politician saying something totally stupid and at the end you find out this was not him. This is an artificial intelligence created video. And that's that's the problem of of our understanding of the environment of the future that we might be uh, that we uh, might confront it with things we haven't seen so so far. And their geopolitics at the end will also play a role. But for example, I see the internet as a hope for Africa. That we can see Africa worldwide now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just linking th this information, obviously, back to, um, back to it's it's I, I wouldn't say source so much, but it's kind of like where it's where it where it's kind of spread, you know, like because social media is not the source of um, this information, you know, social media is the kind of where it goes to to then kind of you know spread and 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 hit the, hit the mainstream almost. Um, what challenges would you say social media because of that um, and and reliance that we have on it um posed to to nato and its members so we, we you know there's a there's a double-edged yeah. sword almost there. yeah it, it, it might you know, if you're if you're able to transfer uh or um to communicate the mission of of nato to all the member states you could use social media mm -hmm. but you could also uh attack nato on certain points now where are cracks in the understanding uh, of of the uh, operational and environment, and this goes with the with the geopolitical situation. You know, where you are, if you are one thousand or two thousand uh, kilometers away from the Russian border, or whether Russia is your direct neighbor, that creates a different understanding you know, or uh, feeling of the threat environment. And this is some, sometimes we are, we also miss. You know, the idea of social is also about emotions, perceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, might be totally different uh, in uh, in geopolitical different different regions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Western Europe at the moment is more about, uh, is about especially Germany is more about COVID than looking into Ukraine, whereas others are acting you know, like you could see over the the, the last weekend. And um, so the the way we assume threats, the way we see threats, this is something where you could use social media also as a as a positive tool to to create a common understanding what is going on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 um equally you know you, you could you could create a um almost a completely falsified narrative as well if you if you wanted to um i i remember um not to not to necessarily quote uh, a cartoon but i remember there was this one episode of the simpsons years ago that i watched where um the the news reporter um was to, was reporting on the ground about a war and then the camera kind of pans and he's using, you know, bubble wrap to make the sound of bombs and then clinking things together to make the sound. So, yep. you know, you can pretty much set up any narrative <laughs> you want. 
Frank, and, and, and take the Russian narrative, you know, Russia is surrounded by, by, by NATO. And then, then you look at the, ma uh, and the map and then you ask yourself, yeah, what are they talking about? I think it's 6% of the borders is bordering to, uh, uh, to NATO. So what are they talking about? Mm. But now look at uh, geostrategy. Uh, on the side, when you enter the Arctic, on the other side is the United States. If you mm -hmm. enter the Atlantic, it's Iceland and, 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 and Norway. So you can create those just by looking from different angles and di different lenses on, onto the same map. And then geopolitics really becomes very important and, and the understanding of it, mm -hmm. it it's imp important. It's not just about us, it's also about the way we live. And if you look into climate change, uh, if, we, if, we, if it might change that there would be uh, spaces in Africa which are not uh, usable for, for, for humans any longer. Uh, and I think Australia now has temperatures above 50 degrees. So how much air condition do you want to pay for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or will this cause uh, pieces of land which are not usable like they are used today? And then you have a, a pressure of migration worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then yeah. also Russia comes under pressure <laughs> with it being the largest uh, uh, country worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, by, by, by far. And uh, um, it's often shocking how big it is, actually. <laughs> if you have a look at it, it's like, Christ. Start learning Russian. And I did say we weren't go we, we weren't gonna go um and derail into Afghanistan too much, but I um um I I, I spread a bit of my own misinformation there at the beginning. <laughs> I do want to <laughs> ask you one question um about it because obviously you, you you know you you um served in 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 Kabul, Afghanistan as as the branch head for transition. Um, and I just wanted to know, like, were there any examples, um, any more examples, maybe they, they um, you could see on the ground of, of, of technology or new technology creating new challenges, opposing new, new threats that, that you had to deal with or that your, your team had to deal with? Yeah, one of the uh, one of the, the threats was the using of drones. You know, the risk that someone mm. would use a drone which costs you 800 euros adds uh, a little piece of... Um, Ammunition to it and, and, and send it to your headquarters. Wow. That's, and that's uh, a very cheap, cheap weapon. You can order it via Amazon and Amazon would deliver to Afghanistan. So, and the rest you can do with a 3D printer in your store. This 3D printer you can also buy on, uh, on the internet. So everything is available. And this is uh, also some kind of technology where we see something or take 5G technology. Everyone is waiting for the new new standards, but this will be totally controlled by China at the moment. There's no Western equivalent on, on, on 5G. So at the end, it might be that China is listening in into every of your phone call. It's looking in your mobile phone, every telegram signal, WhatsApp conversation. If I'm at the end, I might see it. And even if I just see whom you are talking to, it might already show uh, enough. So there's a lot of this kind of uh, new technology, which is not... <laughs> developed in the military. You know? So as, as a sidekick of history, the first UAV flew in 1917. That's 104 years ago. And, and today, now you can have them at home and you can stop flying at Heathrow mm. within five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a... Um, I wanted to use the word... I wanted to avoid using the word terrifying prospect, but <laughs> I can't quite think of something else to say. Um... <laughs> But it is because it, it, it's you. You've mentioned a um a really powerful point that it's not just about the technology, but it's when we're talking about threats and talking about things, it's also about where the technology comes from and the kind of geopolitical context of that. So, if it is like you say, a country like China, for example, um, which obviously has you know uh, competition with the West or competition with, with NATO allies, then then you got to look at what that technology can be used for, especially because, um, although um. China might see itself differently. It is definitely not a democracy. And, and if uh, you're an authoritarian state, mm -hmm. you don't have to wait to get re-elected. You re-elect yourself. So yeah. China can work in totally different timelines or Russia no, than, than, than our politicians. Our politicians have only those four or five years no, and then they must re-elect it. So at a certain point in time, they must also not just only provide safety and security, they must also commit to the words, no, what they promised and the promises. And yeah. if you are in China or Russia, you don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. You will be elected. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, you vote for for uh, for me, uh, myself, or I is kind of the, um, and then obviously within that, you also um, aside from the kind of um. Uh, pesky needs to get reelected. You've also got the idea that you've you've also got to push, you know, you've also got to communicate what you've what you've done to your people, and that communication can be difficult, especially when you're considering the fact that you know you've got competing narratives saying that actually you've done this other thing or you've done this thing or you haven't done this other thing, and you know it, you're you know you're dealing with a lot more difficulties as a as a politician, I'd say in a in a democracy, just because you are you're accountable, which is a good thing. Um, but you know when you when you've got the other side which isn't accountable and has you know as you say it's completely different timelines and completely different focuses on 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 what what matters to them um and you know going back to that point of trust which i think is a, a quite a powerful one to end on is is down to to that at the end of the day and um when we're looking at you know disinformation and emerging threats it seems that the erosion of trust seems to be the the kind of overarching narrative whether you're in the UK abroad or in a in a in a in a NATO member state or in a NATO ally or in a place where NATO is potentially operating it always seems to um especially when it comes to disinformation come down to trust um but Sonak thank you so much uh, for this this has been incredibly interesting um and uh i uh, i uh, hope you have an amazing day Thank you for listening to Season 3 of Media Minded, the show guiding you through the age of disinformation. This podcast is produced by Shata UK and edited by Sabina McKenzie-Brown. Make sure to follow Shata UK on Twitter and Instagram to get updates on all our upcoming episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the Media Minded podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts fixed. This podcast is made possible by the generous support and sponsorship of the US Mission to NATO. Thanks for listening and remember, stay informed.